So, thank you for joining me. Thank you. I'm sat with Jessica Duffin. Um, you are known as This Endo Life mm -hmm. on Instagram. Um, tell, tell us about yourself. Um, yeah, so I have been running This Endo Life for about four years now. Um, it, I mean, it, it sort of started an, as an Instagram, but it only became This Endo Life once I created the uh, the website. Okay. So, um, yeah, four years since I started the blog and, um, I have endometriosis and I'm sure we'll get into the story, but to keep yeah. it brief, I started the website when I just found it ridiculous that there wasn't easily accessible information that wasn't just about surgery or drugs or hormones, which have a place, but there was no other information out there and I had experienced massive relief from my diet and I was like, why can I swear on this podcast? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Fuck so, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, why the fuck was this so hard to find? And the fact that I had suffered for so many years and then I did a month of diet changes and had the best period that I'd had in years. Yeah. And I was like, there are so many people out there who are probably feeling just as desperate as I am. Um, so I started to write about it and I'd always been a writer. Um, so it seemed like a natural way for me to put my kind of story and research out there. Mm. And then, um, obviously that's kind of evolved in the past two years. I've been doing a podcast, which is this end of life as well. And that's, um, I interview people who are helping others to live and thrive with endometriosis, or maybe it's a related subject. Um, you know, like painful periods or hormones. Yeah. Um, and I now do solo episodes with that as well. Um, and yeah, I've just qualified as a women's health coach specializing yeah. in endometriosis. So um, yeah, that's really exciting. Um, for, well, actually, even for me, can you explain what, I mean, I'm obviously familiar yeah. with the term, but what exactly is endometriosis? Yeah, so, um, Endometriosis is a condition which affects one in 10, so statistically it affects one in 10 women, which is about 176 worldwide. I was gonna say, but do you think there's people that aren't diagnosed? Absolutely, yeah. I think there are people that aren't diagnosed, um, which I'm gonna cross my fingers to remember a point, but <laughs> I also, that's not counting, you know, the trans men and like, you know, non-gender people out there who, aren't identifying as women who also have who endometriosis. Also have, yeah. So okay. going forward with this conversation, I might give you stats that are specifically about women, and I'm going to say women for the stats, but other than that, I kind of say people yeah. um, because it can affect you know um, all genders, and it has been found occasionally, very rarely in men, wow. really rarely um, I think there's like a handful of cases around the world and okay. I'm pretty sure that a number of those cases were induced. It was like a, almost like an accident. They, it was an experiment where they were giving them a drug or a hormone, yeah. something like that, and they okay. ended up having endo. So, so what is endometriosis? Yeah, so endometriosis is a condition where cells which are similar, not the same, to the lining of your womb grow outside of the uterus, okay. often in the pelvic cavity, on the fallopian tubes, on the ovaries, on the bowel, the bladder, can be found in wow. places like the diaphragm, even in the brain, 
Um, wow. Yeah, it's been found on lungs. Um, I've even read about a case where it's been found on fing- under the fingernails. Um, those are like the rarer forms. I feel like I hear about diaphragm endo more often, but the pelvic cavity and kind of the surrounding organs is where it's commonly found. Um, And what happens is those cells behave the same as the cells inside the uterus. So they're gonna follow the cycle in the same way and respond to estrogen and progesterone in the same way. So they build up and then they, you know, they break down. So then they're bleeding internally and that blood has nowhere to go. And this, imagine the way that your uterus feels when you're in your period, Mm -hmm. obviously that cramping. Mm that breakdown is causing inflammation and cramping in that area, which then causes pain, further inflammation, Mm -hmm. scarring. So actually the growth of endometriosis kind of causes some scar, like scar tissue. Um, And then if you have, for example, surgery, I think it's somewhere like about 80% to even a hundred from speaking to Dr. Andrew Cook, Eighty percent of people who have abdominal surgery end up getting adhesions. Yeah. Um, so adhesions are for people who don't know, and I'm not explaining this scientifically at all. <laughs> it's just when scar tissue kind of builds up underneath a scar, yeah, and then it creates almost like a web from you know the scar to your hip. Yeah. And my physiotherapist actually was explaining to me that um, because adhesions and scar tissue is naturally trying to knit your kind of body back together it will actually find something that's close to it and try to knit it towards it yeah so that's why if you've got an adhesion um for people who are listening who have endo that's why you might feel like you know pulling from yeah you know from maybe like an excision on your belly button to your hip. Yeah. And endo can then grow on those adhesions and cause like webbing. So you you start to get this webbing going on. And that webbing, um, I mean, this can happen with endometriosis even without the adhesions, but the adhesions kind of make it worse where yeah, organs start sticking together. Okay. Um, you know, it's kind of building bridges between organs. Yeah, I'm kind of imagining it like a web of fascia. Yeah. Of like growing absolutely. out. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And endo can be found on the fascia as well. Yeah. Which um, it's just harder to identify. Um, apparently, it looks like um, kind of puckering in the fascia. Okay. Um, so endometriosis can actually present in loads of different colours. And so not every... I think it's something like... The book Beaten Endo, so Beaten Endo is written by a world-leading surgeon and um, physiotherapist, and they did a talk to surgeons, and these surgeons, I think it was 75% of the room couldn't correctly identify endometriosis because it presents so differently in different people. Um, It can be clear, it can be black, it can be brown, it can be red. You know, all of these different colours can kind of be a bluish-purple. Um, so yeah, so it breaks down, it causes cramping, pain, um, lots of people get heavy menstrual bleeding, but, um, from my understanding of speaking to Endometriosis UK, they are working with the NHS to change the definition because they used to say that that was a symptom of endometriosis, but it seems to be now like a co-condition. Heavy menstrual bleeding is something in itself that often people with endo have because I think what they're saying is scientifically 
endometriosis wouldn't be causing you to bleed heavily through the vagina, right? Because it's happening internally. Yeah. Um, So if anyone who's interested in finding out more about that, then you could go to Endometriosis UK um, and kind of talk to them. I don't know if it's announced. It's something they're working on. Um, Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, (laughs) Like, quick. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't. Um, And, yeah, it causes, like, chronic fatigue. That's a massive one for people. Um, It can cause a lot of digestive issues, which is Mm. why people often get misdiagnosed with IBS. Yeah. Um, It causes bowel problems. Like, a lot of people have pain with bowel movements or bladder movements. Um, Another co-condition of endometriosis is painful bladder syndrome, also known as interstitial cystitis. and bladder pain syndrome it's got loads of different names so people often get pain with the bladder um it could be icy or it could be endo growing into the bladder so all these different symptoms because i feel like endometriosis is only and maybe this is just my awareness of it but i would like to think that i'm fairly well informed or perhaps more than your average woman mm-hmm. um or person um do you think because of the array of symptoms that can present, and I'm assuming that there isn't any one singular, like where you have this, 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 therefore it is end- endometriosis. Um, do you think that it's only in the most recent years that it's starting to become more diagnosed and more visible to perhaps the medical profession? Because that would be the first port of call, right? Yeah. yeah. When you have symptoms, we go to the doctor. Yeah. Um, can I have some- Absolutely, have a sip of water. Um, Whenever I'm talking into a mic, I get a really dry mouth. (laughs) Um, Yes and no. I think we've got a lot of work to do with the medical uh, community. Um, There are doctors out there doing great work, but there are some who also have really sexist views still who believe that period pain is normal and that's just a women's that's yeah. the, you know but it's so diff- I mean it isn't period it isn't period in the way that no it's, it's not. not your no. womb shed it you know it's, yeah um but they're gonna will, get on a rant yeah <laughs> they will misdiagnose it you know as painful periods um and it's definitely I mean a hundred percent it is getting better um I don't know if the di- I don't think the diagnosis time has changed yet. So the current average diagnosis in the UK is seven and a half years. But, I, you know, there are people who haven't been diagnosed for 22 years, 30 years. Um, so there's been no official changes to that diagnosis time yet. But I imagine in a couple of years it will change. Maybe they'll do another study and it will change. Um, there are, uh, there's so many kind of I mean, we've had petitions going on. We've had massive things going on in the government around endometriosis. Endometriosis UK are making a lot of noise. Um, people coming out publicly talking about it. Mm. So I think it is getting easier to diagnose. Mm. Um, I mean, if you were going to look for some telltale signs, pain during sex, um, bowel problems, IBS issues, pain during your period, um, fatigue maybe bladder pain those are probably like your kind of go-to symptoms mm. bloating that's a massive one but would is you might not experience them all right you, you might, might not experience any or, yeah so the thing with endometriosis is that you could have um loads of endometriosis you could have like you know stage four 
uh, which is when endometriosis deep infiltrating and it's kind of kind of moved into organs it's moved through into organs uh, we don't really use that terminology in the uk it's mm. more of an Amer american terminology um but you know it means that you've got a lot of endo basically and it's yeah. pretty aggressive but you might not have any symptoms you could literally not know until maybe you have a surgery for something else yeah. and they find it or maybe you can't get pregnant and yeah. they they you find it into why, yeah. um and then you can have a really small amount of endo and have every symptom. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't correlate. Yeah. You might not have any symptoms. Okay. How did you, um, how did you get diagnosed? What was your process? Um, so I, I ha actually had fine periods. My periods were really light. I didn't have any pain growing up. A lot of people's stories start in their teenage years. That didn't really happen for me. Um, but then when I was about 18 or 19, one day I suddenly got a really terrible period out of the blue. I didn't even know what was happening because I was just like, I don't get period pain. Like, what yeah. is this? Um, and and I didn't track my period either. So I was just like, what's going on? Why am I in pain? Um, and so, yeah, that that happened and then at the same time I started getting pain during sex okay. um, but I had had a car accident a really serious car accident the year before when I was 17 so for a while I kind of put that pain down to it maybe the endo pain had started before but I wouldn't have really known because I just thought you know I'd broke my spine and pelvis and hips and stuff Whoa. yeah <laughs> just drop yeah. that in like, so I'd broken a lot yeah. in that area and so I just kind of, it could have been going on for longer and I wouldn't have known. Um, although interestingly, there are, there's research that's saying trauma like a car accident can trigger endometriosis symptoms. So you might have endo lying dormant and then you have trauma. Oh, wow, trauma in the body. Yeah, and it triggers it. And I think it's because it kind of may, I'm saying explaining this in like really dumb terms, but maybe because it wakes up those pain signals yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I started getting really bad pain during sex and these excruciatingly painful periods. Once the first one had begun, that was kind of it. Um, and I was taking loads of cacodamol. It would always come at night. So I would just kind Dose of, up. yeah, eat a packet of cacodamol and it wouldn't really do anything except make me so high that I wasn't really conscious of what was going okay. on. Um, and yeah, it was horrendous. And I was going to the doctors. I'd been going to the doctors for a long time about um, a really extreme bloating, which we now know is like, called it's called the, the endo belly or the endo bloat. I'd been having that all my teen years. Mm -hmm. And I also had like hormonal issues. So I think there was always this underlying current of it, but my period wasn't that bad. Um, so they had been dismissing like, the bloating and all of the other issues um and I kept going back and I kept going back and they were like we don't know what it is take this pill blah 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 and then eventually my ex-boyfriend came with me and he told them what he witnessed and they referred me to a gynecologist oh my goodness so and that had yeah hell? yeah so that had gone on female or male doctor female no way, yeah. that makes it doubly yeah. bad. And it was the same one who I'd been going to for years. So. What the hell? It was pretty, yeah. Um, and I had to, I left. He wasn't, a, even though he came with me and fought my corner, he wasn't a very nice guy. 
And I really had to convince him that I hadn't been making up this story that they weren't listening to me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so then I got referred to a gynae and that was a really long procedure because then they do scans and they're like, there's nothing there. And then they do an internal examination and it's like, there's nothing there. Um, and then eventually someone mentioned endo. And I text my friend who had been diagnosed with endo a couple of years before, who hers was a really severe case of endo. They actually found it when a, when a chocolate cyst ruptured and she got rushed into A&E. So I never really thought that yeah. it was going to be, I, I, endo had never crossed my mind. Um, and I texted her my symptoms and I was like, what do you think? She was like, yeah, absolutely. And then I looked at the symptoms online and it was like, it was like every cell in my body was like, yeah, that's me. That's what's going mm. on. It was like a bodily reaction. Um, it took a long time to get the surgery on the NHS. I think it took something like, I don't know, six months to a year to get the surgery. Just once they'd mentioned the word endo and were like, we're going to refer you. Um, and then, yeah, I had the surgery and they found it. But what I experienced back then is nothing to kind of my relationship with endo now. When I came around, they were like, yeah, you got endo. It's a small amount. We've removed it. You'll be fine. And that was it. Kind of, yeah, bish, bash, bosh, off yeah, you go. Yeah, that was it. If, if one were to have surgery to remove endometriosis, can it reform, regrow? Can you, can you essentially get the cysts back? Yeah, so there isn't a cure for endometriosis yet. No. So in theory, yes, it can grow back. It's going to be much more likely that it's going to grow back if you have um, ablation surgery. Now, that's not actually scientifically the correct word, but it's like the common word for it. Okay. Um, the correct word is co coagulation, something weird that I can't yeah. pronounce. So I'm not going to try it again. Um, and... So, but essentially that's like lasering it off. So if okay. you think about like a, say, think about a verruca, yeah. right? You've got that root in a verruca and you don't get to the root, but you just kind yeah, of yeah, like it's treat, gonna come back. it's going to come back. So that's essentially what ablation, when they're lasering it off or they're using a jet of, um, sometimes I think they use the jet of like H2O, like um, gas or something. Okay. Um, and that's just only going to take off the surface. Yeah. That's more likely to grow back. And in fact, it's probably going to cause you more damage. Okay. That's like a bit of a big statement. But from my conversation with, with surgeons, like leading surgeons and reading books, it can cause a lot of damage. Um, scar tissue, that endo yeah. will then grow on, things like that. Um, the gold standard for surgery is excision surgery. And I recently in interviewed Dr. Andrew Cook, and he's like a world-leading award-winning endometriosis specialist. He yeah. is brilliant. If I could go and see him, I would. I don't even need a surgery. Um, but his, so he's in the States, California, I think. And um, he was saying with their procedures, and I think what he's saying is like the gold standard should be this way. If your excision surgeon, if your excision surgeon is good, because you can do an excision and not be good, right? Yeah. But if they're good and they know exactly what they're looking for, the chances of you not needing another surgery is like as high as 80%. Yeah. So I, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a cure because I think that maybe some small cells might grow back, but you might never feel it. Mm. Or there are kind of actually um, 
there are kind of biological differences within or genetic differences within people with endometriosis. So those don't go away mm. from removing the endo. Yeah. So just because your endo isn't there, does that mean you don't have endo anymore? I think that's yeah. like a kind of question to ask because you still have these weird genetic issues that we have. Um, so if you get the best specialist, then you may not need another surgery and it may yeah. not grow back. Okay. But, but there's a question mark over it, essentially. Yeah, and, and most most people that I meet have had multiple surgeries. Wow. So, okay. yeah. Um, how did... So you... It was quite a long process to you being diagnosed, obviously, and actually even just being listened to, mm. <laughs> um, and then having your surgery. How did you feel after you had that kind of validation of like, yes, like this is, you know, I don't just have IBS and, and a bit of this and a bit of that, mm. like. It's really interesting. I think a lot of people have had like a massive sense of relief and, and validation. Yeah. I don't really think I felt anything. Okay. I, so I had like a 11 year eating disorder. Um, and I, I mean, I still had it in drips and drabs at that point. Um, but I had a real disconnect from my body. Um, and I really just felt, well, that's that was a thing that was in my body that shouldn't have been there and it's been cut out now and yeah. great. Like, and I really just wanted to forget about it yeah. and kind of go back to disassociating myself from my mm. body. Really, I think yeah. I went through a real big denial that endo wouldn't come back. I was in this kind of place where I was like, I'm going to think positive and then endo just won't come back. It's not going to happen to me again. But it w wasn't really thinking positive. It was denial. Kind I of think. just not acknowledging. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how has it, how has it, since that surgery, how has it affected, I mean, has it, it obviously has affected your life because of what you're doing now, but how has it affected? How did you... Have, have you had regrowth? It, you know, what tools have you used to kind of see you through? And Yeah, so um, the first year, year and a half, I think, I had um, no pain. But I didn't know at that time that endometriosis also caused things like fatigue and the bloating. So I had no idea that all of the other issues were related. Okay. Yeah. So that still carried on. And then it was starting to progressively get worse. And then the pain came back and it came back like full throttle. There was no kind of like in between. And um, that's when I really started paying attention to it. Um, and it affected me really immediately. And I was also kind of battling with, um, I'm trying to think if it had happened before. I was battling with depression and anxiety, which I've always kind of dealt with all my life but actually now I think it was highly down to my hormones yeah and um I was still kind of trying out different pills um and now I know how negatively the pill affected You're me talking about the contraceptive yeah, yeah yeah so I was like really depressed the pain came back um and I couldn't 
I was exhausted at work, like so, so tired. I was like, I like literally felt like I needed to inject like caffeine into my mm. eyeballs. Like it was just so. <laughs> I literally said that this morning. Like <laughs> I was pouring a coffee. I was like, this is for my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> no. I just like shot some, yeah, espresso into our <laughs> eyes. Um, and I look back now at my level of productivity as like, as like a, you know, a freelancer or business owner, I'm really into like productivity hacks. Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, wow, I was just like at like 10% of my game. Like, and I was really lucky that I had, I worked in a charity that were really supportive. I didn't feel supported at the time because I just felt so anxious that everyone was out to get me. Mm. But now I reflect and they really were there for me. Um, but I, I, I couldn't work properly. I felt so negative. I used to walk from, so I lived in Bermondsey and I'd walk across Tower Bridge mm. to get to work every day. And every day I wondered about, like I thought about jumping. And because you get this pain and you're like, you kind of do the maths and you're like, I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because that pain affects you in the lead up to it really kicking in and afterwards and before you know it it's back um and there are people who live with it every single day and um you know every time that I don't really get the pain now but if I ever do I'm like Jesus how do people do this every day yeah and um you know the fatigue it was really the fatigue because I got to this point where I couldn't even finish sentences and I still get that sometimes when I'm really tired I wouldn't remember what I was going to say. I would literally forget words. Um, and I'd be like pointing at something or like miming it, like trying to, you know, remember. And it was just like everything was falling apart. Um, so that's when I took it seriously and I started doing the research and I realized that it was all related. Okay. Um, and then I was due another surgery because I I went back to my GP and I was like, the pain started again. It is really, really bad. It could definitely get worse. And he said, come back when it's excruciating. Oh my God. But because of the, you know, the waiting times with the NHS, um, that process took another two years. So, oh yeah. God. And in between... So my godfather um, worked in Cape Town. He moved out there after the apartheid to do um, kind of like peace work. Um, and he moved out there and he died during this time. And I hadn't, I'd never had the money to go to South Africa and see him. So I was devastated. It was really bad timing um, for me to be going through all this with endo and then lose someone who had been a really significant role model in my life. Yeah. Um, and so he left me a bit of money. So I went traveling and went to South Africa to spend time with his family and kind of see the work that he'd done. And so I told them just before this, so not long before the trip, maybe a couple of months, they were like, right, we're gonna put you forward for this lap now. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going away. Can, like, if I get, you know, can yeah. you put that on my thing? And they were like, yeah, we'll we defer it. Then I got a call whilst I was in Cape Town and I kept this, this call kept going. I was like, who the hell are they, like, yeah, why yeah. are they calling? Um, and they were like, 
where are you? You're, you're supposed to be here for your pre-op. And I was like, no, no, no. I, I told you when I was going away and you guys were going to defer it, like, if it came if it came up. And the woman was just such a bitch, to be honest. And she was like, well, you know, you should have been here. Um, we're taking you off the list. <gasps> so I lost my place. And I had to come, when I got back six months later, I had to go through the entire process from going to my GP. Well, they were going to be re-referred. Getting him to, yeah. The thing that I find really um, tricky in some ways is that I'm such a champion of the NHS. And it's very apt, actually, that, I mean, this isn't going to be released today, but we're recording this on vote day, right? So who fucking knows where we're going to be when this comes out? (laughs) Um, I am a massive champion and supporter of the NHS, and I'm so fucking grateful that we have it. And in the past 12 months, I've used my local hospital probably about 15 times, which is the most I've ever spent in hospital ever in my entire life. And that doesn't even include giving birth to my son. (laughs) Um, But when you hear things like that, how, I mean, because you haven't gone through a very stringent process, they just start you back to square one. And that's can be completely debilitating for your life. Yeah. Like, it's just infuriating, and it's so wrong. But, I mean, I get it that the NHS is under-resourced and understaffed and yeah. under a huge amount of pressure, but it's just fucked up. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's fucked up. And also, I think we have this um, institutionalised sexism yes. in NHS, unfortunately, because not just the NHS, you know, the medical community, because historically, um, you know, we were chatting about this earlier, like the research was done on men and the doctors were men. And the anatomy books that doctors are learning from are from a male male anatomy. Yeah, and also look what we, you know, gynecology has gone from, they used to think that women's wombs moved about their body and that's why we were hysterical. It oh was God. something called Roman womb syndrome. Roman womb yeah. syndrome. Yeah, and one of the things that they used to do to um, calm a woman down or something, I can't remember, was clamp her ovaries. So we have historically got this baggage that has filtered down, and it's not to the same degree. Of course, yeah. But it's there. But it's there, And yeah. it's not me being this, like radical feminist who's just slanting doctors like I've worked with endometriosis for five years now you know I've worked for endometriosis charities I've volunteered um the stories that I've heard and what Mm. I've witnessed when it comes to people who are trying to get the right treatment for endometriosis is appalling Mm. the comments that doctors have made to people is like wait why are you a doctor yeah it, it's insane. The sexism is still there. Yeah, 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 for sure. The sexism's still there. There's obviously um, systematic racism still oh, there. Oh, God, and absolutely. Especially, again, you, you add them together and that's a uh, disaster. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so much work to be done. Um, and I think, it, it, unfortunately, it's, it's being done. There's people out there championing women's rights and trying to change that narrative but it's going to take a long time yeah absolutely and and again like it goes back to what you were saying you know i'm not i'm not here cussing the nhs no. but, but these, you have to talk about yeah it. this is the thing like it needs to be spoken yeah, about because yeah. if it isn't spoken about it isn't changed and yeah as un- upsetting as it is it's 
so necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And also things happen like my second surgery, I got an offer from a hospital um, and I was actually on the waiting list for another one because I'd moved and the first hospital would have just been ablation surgery, but the second one was an endospecialist center who do excision. Okay. So I was like, I'm gonna go and do excision there. I waited even longer. And then whilst I was asleep, they didn't do excision. They did ablation. I have no why, no idea why. The surgeon was a fucking specialist. So it's like the, I I won't go to the NHS again. There's no standardized. Like yeah, if I if I have to have another surgery, I'm gonna literally fight tooth and nail to find the money to go yeah. private. Because I can't like, I saw no relief from that second surgery. Nothing. No no difference at all. So how have you managed? Um, how have you managed the condition ongoing? So when I was in Cape Town and I was really desperate, I got that call. Yeah. Um, and I had, just before we, we left, I was like, I really need to get on top of this. So I got some tests done, some blood tests, and they came back um, that I was really um, severely dairy intolerant, gluten intolerant, which makes sense. My brother and sister both have celiac disease, okay. um, ulcerative colitis, all the things. Um, and I was like, okay. I had started finding bits of and pieces about inflammatory foods and trigger foods. So I knew that gluten and dairy were common inflammatory foods and had been recommended by some nutritionists to remove for endometriosis. So I was like, I know now that those foods are 100% causing me inflammatory reactions. Um, I got this call and I was like, okay, this is gonna go on for months now. Mm. I have to do something. So whilst we were out there, I started an elimination diet and I cut out dairy, sugar, gluten. Um, I mean, I don't drink anyway, but you know, I just made a point of not, not having any alcohol and caffeine. And um, I had a pain-free period. Wow. Just a month. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I can't, I'm always like wondering like, is that too much of a statement that was pain free? Like I always ask my boyfriend like, do you remember me having any pain? He's like, no, I don't remember it. Like, so, you know, I say maybe it was level one on the pain scale, but I remember yeah. no pain. Um, so that was my kind of first, first thing that I did and then after that, I kind of experimented. I kind of fell off the wagon in a, way, in a way, but then also wanted to test what would happen. So I kind of was like, I'm gonna do one week where I, one month where I eat a bit of gluten, or I'm gonna yeah. see what happens if I have a bit of sugar or a bit of caffeine. And so I did go through like a rough, like months where it was really great and months when it was really rough. And what I identified over the years is that, um, Sugar's my key inflammatory food. If I have sugar anywhere near my period, it's game over. I could eat like the, I don't wanna say the perfect, but I could eat like a really high quality elimination diet. And then I eat a bit of sugar just before my period. It's all out the window. Over. Yeah, there's when, you know. when you say sugar, are you talking about like refined sugars or are we talking about natural sugars in bananas and carrots and um, how sort of sensitive are you to the Yeah, I am pretty sensitive. What I find is that um, refined or unrefined sugar, so obviously a lot of people will just kind of swap to maple syrup and stuff, mm. 
that's still a trigger for me. Okay. I tend to eat low sugar fr fruits. So, and one of the reasons why I do that is because I'm trying to keep my hormone levels stable. Mm. So I balance my blood sugar. So I tend to like, if I'm going to have a high sugar fruit, then I make a choice. It will be in my like um, pre-ovulation and ovulation phases because that's when my body can tolerate sugar better. Mm -hmm. And also it's the furthest away from my period. Um, and I will just combine that high sugar fruit with some kind of like fat. Maybe I'll have like some nut butter or something um, just to keep my hormone level stable because um, I definitely have estrogen, excess estrogen, and that causes me other adverse symptoms. Um, and it really helps with my fatigue Okay. to keep my hormone level stable and my blood sugar level stable. So... That's kind of one of the reasons why I'm careful with high sugar fruits. But yeah, I couldn't, for example, like if I ate a banana on day one of my period, I'm going to be in excruciating pain. If it was a date, like, oh my God, <laughs> like I'd be like in hospital. So I, you know, I've tried it. Like I've been fine. And then I've made like a smoothie and I'm like, oh, I just had a date in there. And it's just like horrible game over. It's, and um, it's incredible how sensitive uh, well actually it's incredible how informed we can become by our bodies mm. once we start listening oh, yeah. and stop trying to suppress our symptoms yeah yeah and I think sometimes it I sometimes I do my podcast and I'm like mm, do I sound just a bit I don't know OTT about this but really it comes to like what down to my quality of life yeah and people who are listening to this are like, well, that's extreme, like not eating a banana. It might be extreme for someone else. It's not extreme for me. It yeah. makes a difference to me being able to work and record the podcast or, you know, and me not being able to. Well, and enjoy your life, Yeah, right? you know, enjoy my life and do the things that I, be the person that I know that I can be, that Endo had held me back from. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. I am really specific. Root vegetables used to trigger me. Grains used to trigger me. Um, so I wouldn't be able to... Like, I don't, for example, I wouldn't eat a bowl of rice mm. the night before my period because mm. that converts into glucose. It's high in carbohydrates, so it's therefore high in glucose, and I end up getting a lot of pain from it. took me a while to realise that, but, um, yeah, now I understand it. So um, I am careful. Like, I eat a lot of leafy greens good fats, um, protein, mm. kind of when I'm due on. How, um, so you've just trained and, well, you've just qualified as like wonder year. You've had a book and qualified as a <laughs> women's health coach. Yeah. It, was that training pre predominantly nutrition focused or hormone focused or you, can you kind of not have one without the other? Or? Um, well, I guess, I mean, I don't know what other courses are like, but I'm, I imagine that you could do a training, uh, health coach course that wasn't a women's health course mm. right and that yeah. it would just be nutrition but for this we had to go into yeah, we went into hormones we went into nutrition okay the first half was um actually health coaching skills because you could go to a nutritionist and they could tell you all of the things to do and then you could go home and be completely overwhelmed and not know yeah. what to do so it's really about working with your client to create goals that are centered around what they want yeah. for their lives. There's no point me telling someone to give up sugar if they're just not going to go and do it, right? Yeah. So it's about like working together to create 
healthy behavior patterns that help them to thrive with endo. Um, and then the second half was nutrition and that was diving into hormones, hence why I talk a lot about blood sugar yeah. and, you know, um, hormone balance. But, um, you know, the key really, that was kind of women's health overall. And we even, you know, that was like women's gut health, women's mental health, yeah. um, all kind of cardiovascular health because, um, you know, women suffer from heart attacks and they're not, the heart attacks aren't even diagnosed properly um, because it's diagnosis anxiety. So, um, you know, it's crazy. So thanks world. <laughs> yeah, it's, we went into, we go into all of it, but now um, I'm specializing in, in endometriosis. So we covered endometriosis in it, but now I'm doing an even deeper dive in an intensive mm. endometriosis program with the same, um, same course leader, Dr. Jessica Drummond. So she's okay. a leading yeah, women's health expert. And yeah, so it kind of covers all of it, but now, yeah, I'm specialized. And when my course kicks off in Jan, then not my course, my program, um, I'll be you know, fully specialized in endo. Well done, it's really Thank incredible. You. I think it's so necessary, especially when people are being um, dropped off or not caught mm. by our standardized healthcare. Yeah, and I think that's what really motivated me to do it because there are a lot of people, there are a lot of kind of organizations who can't talk about the alternative yeah. and kind of natural health side of things yeah. because um, the pharmaceutical companies haven't paid for the research. <laughs> there isn't money in it. Yeah, so yeah. they, and so that means it's not approved by the NHS. They can't talk about it. Um, yeah. I mean, the NHS changed a couple of years ago. They changed their. I don't know what you would call it, manifesto policy, but they were going to start looking at more preventative measures for chronic diseases like food and stuff like that. And we know that inflammation is one of the root causes to pain and chronic disease. Um, so for me, I'm kind of looking at preventing the symptoms from yeah. worsening. So you can manage them without having... because. If you just keep going to have ablation surgery, you're just going to keep having ablation yeah. surgery. Yeah. And some people hormones don't work for. They like me, they make them suicidal. They make them want to jump off a bridge, you know. Um I got to this point where I was just like what the fuck are we doing when we are not talking about food? Yeah. We're not hang on like it's not like our uterus is separate from like the rest of our body yeah. that and you know that we know that sugar feeds inflammation. It not even does it just feed inflammation. Sugar actually causes an inflammatory um, chemical in our body to heighten. It increases that that pain kind of inflammatory marker, and it decreases the anti-inflammatory chemicals in our body. So I always have to toe this line between being careful with what I'm saying because I don't want to trigger any kind of disorders eating. And if this mm. is a trigger for you, there are other ways to manage endo. Yeah. Stress management, mindfulness of pain, movement, um, you know, adding loads of antioxidants in. So adding loads of fruit and vegetables. But I think it's important that we talk about the foods that can be worsening the condition because you could do it, be doing everything right and then 
but nothing's changing, then you mm. might change one thing, like maybe you're really allergic to gluten, and then yeah. it changes it for you. Yeah, I, th- I do think that's something that um, is being spoken about more in alternative, and I'm using squiggly fingers for yeah. that, alternative circles um, that the NHS or the pharmaceutical companies, because there isn't money in it, there aren't studies done, and because of that, there's no policy around it, but um, that we can't treat any symptom or any part of our body or any illness in isolation from the whole. You know, you can't treat a physical symptom without looking at, well, what do you eat? How do you move? What's your mental health like? How do you look after yourself? Like We have to look at a person as an entire ecosystem and stop pulling apart symptoms and body parts and think, well, if I do this, then everything else will be fine. It's just, it feels like such an outdated and counterproductive way of working, which basically means our healthcare system is just putting out fires constantly and not not making change. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah it, it's it, like dry, it drives me nuts and it really upsets me when people think that what i do is a bit hippie or woo-woo. damaging i love yeah. that term woo woo. I, I think it's hilarious and i don't think what you're doing is woo woo but i hear it all the time yeah yeah it's, it's an american term right i heard <laughs> i heard them saying woo woo a lot and um now it's over here but um it really upsets me because i've had criticism from people who are pretty high up in endometriosis kind of world and I'm like you are you're doing a disservice yeah if you're not talking about this um you know just for, just as as an example like people with endometriosis often have SIBO which is um a gut imbalance right okay. so the gut bacteria imbalance um so and then they also have all of these kind of intolerances going on. We're much more likely to have intolerances. I can't remember the stats, but there are stats around it. Allergies as well. Um, I, I'm literally like constantly got a tissue. I always find allergies. So you've got all of these inflammatory things going mm. on. And um, the damage from all of the kind of the stomach issues and stuff that it does to our gut lining, you know, it creates a leaky gut sin- scenario. Then you've got these particles passing through you have your immune system on the outside of your gut lining ready to attack. It starts attacking all of the foods that come through. That then sends a signal to your brain that your body's under attack. It heightens the inflammation. You know, so you've got this cycle. You might not think that the gut health is related to your womb, but if an inflammatory response is kicking off in your gut, it's going to have a downstream effect on the rest of your body. Um, so in fact, like what we actually begin working on in, um, in health coaching for endometriosis of the gut. So with all my clients, when we start, we're going to start with the gut. Yeah. Even if that's just adding in foods to calm, calm down the gut. If someone doesn't want to kind of work with cutting anything out, it's a bit of a trigger. Um, it's just about getting in, you know, the fiber, if they eat meat, then maybe adding some bone broth or Mm. looking up some supplements or some herbs that can kind of like heal that area. Or in some cases, they might need some specific treatment for SIBO to get that kind of bacteria back in balance. So for any, um, anyone that is experiencing, that is perhaps starting out on the discovery of their endometriosis diagnosis or is 
starting to um, look at ways to manage their symptoms, you would say gut health, diet is a good starting point. Yeah, I mean, so inf inflammation is really where you need to start because when inflammation is going crazy, it, it kind of creates this just this cycle. The mm. inflammation causes more inflammation mm. and you're not really going to be able to address anything else. Um, you know, I spent quite a long time looking at hormones and I've now come kind of full circle. I started at inflammation, I moved into hormones and now I'm back at inflammation because if you've got this inflammatory response and you've got a stress response going on in your body, yeah. that's going to screw with your hormones. So yeah, you could do course. everything right with your hormones, but if you haven't addressed the inflammation. Yeah. So, you know, I would look at, yes, I would look at your gut health first um, and just adding in Let's start with adding in. So adding in, you know, ideally eight portions of vegetables and and some fruit, but you know, vegetables gonna be really powerful here. Um, five to eight um, portions a day, lots of fiber um, and prebiotics and probiotics. I kind of want to caveat that because if you've got like a bad bacteria imbalance you might be feeding it with the probiotics and prebiotics that's why okay. like if you can get that tested that would be great yeah um but don't worry if you don't like you know just looking after your gut health it's gonna it's gonna help um but adding in yeah kind of anti-inflammatory foods so herbs and spices turmeric ginger root powder um greens um good fats and i mean good fats aren't necessarily gonna add in the help with the inflammation but I think it's just gonna if you're eating lots of mega freeze that's gonna help so you know um fatty fish if yeah. you eat fish if yeah. you don't eat fish then you can get um vegan supplements yeah. um make sure that you get those because walnuts chia seeds they're omega freeze but they're not all of the types of omega freeze that we need okay. um so kind of just adding those in um and then you might, if you feel that you can, you might then want to consider eliminating some trigger foods. And so, um, you know, Dr. Jessica Drummond always talks about the main trigger foods are soy, mm. um, maybe eggs, if you find that you're sensitive to eggs, gluten, dairy. You might be able to eat um, sheep and goats dairy. Yeah. Um, so see how you feel about that. Um, and I've missed one. Sugar, dairy, gluten, soy, alcohol, caffeine, maybe. Um, so caffeine is an interesting one. Studies, studies have found that some people find it to be anti-inflammatory and some people find it inflammatory. So yeah. you kind of need to see how your body feels about that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Um, I remember having, I used to get really bad migraines mm. when I was a teenager. And an auntie was, I was like, oh, I can't have a coffee. I feel like it's going to make it worse. Yeah. She was like, no, coffee will help because of the caffeine I was like that is like it didn't it felt counterintuitive yeah yeah but actually it did help that's so interesting <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean I find caffeine to be a real um inflammatory for me so yeah. like I had a decaf when we were in the coffee yeah. coffee shop and I actually don't even have decaf that much yeah because it just adds up and, yeah um but yeah so look at that if you don't want to start with diet then look into ways to reduce in your stress level and just kind of get in your body in a kind of rest and digest mm. place because when it's constantly stressed it's not going to be able to heal properly yeah. it's not going to be able to reduce this inflammation in the the inflammation so yoga 
mindfulness, getting out in nature, um, just kind of adding those things in. And oh my God, sleep. <laughs> sleep, guys. Like, I'm working on it so hard, like I have insomnia, but like, you know, not having blue light exposure before bed, so yeah. like an hour at least. Um, switch into either low lighting or if you don't have like a control on your lights, like dim um, side lamps. Um, you know, trying to just wind down a bit, not scrolling on social media. Yeah. Just really trying to improve your level of sleep and then going outside in the morning and getting some light to your eyes. So that what that will do is just put your circadian rhythm in the right order. Yeah. Um, and it's just going to help your body to actually do what it needs to do to look after itself, um, get your hormones in balance and stuff. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say, which has completely gone from my head, um, inflammation, sleep, it's gone. This is brain fog at its finest. <laughs> I love oh, that you cross your trick. fingers to remember something that's I such that a good trick. It's a really good but trick. But then I forget. But then you forget what it is. Um, oh, what was it? It was really important. Oh, detoxification systems. Ah. So basically, for years now, we've done studies that have shown that endometriosis is estrogen dependent. So it grows more from estrogen. That makes sense. You know, the womb lining builds up from estrogen. Yeah. However, last year they did a study that shows that now some endometriosis cells have more progesterone receptors and some have more estrogen receptors, some have none, some have one, some have the other. But we do know, so that might be why people are given the pill and then yeah. it doesn't work yeah. because their endo responds to progesterone. But regardless, like generally we do know that estrogen can heighten endometriosis and um, also the symptoms of excess estrogen are just not fun. And on top of that, um, people with endometriosis tend to have excess estrogen because endo creates its own estrogen. Um, okay. Not all cells, but that's what, you know, they found it multiple times, endo creates its own estrogen. And also we have genetic, um, genetic kind of abnormalities that mean that we actually don't eliminate estrogen as well as everyone else okay. um so we need to actually support our body in detoxify detoxifying estrogen so that means supporting our gut making sure that we're able to go to the toilet properly so adding in lots of fiber um dry brushing to help like you know the lymphatic system um water it's amazing how many people that i talk to are like oh my endo causes constipation and then you find out that they're not drinking enough water yeah um and also i it's Christmas, so people are probably going to hate me for saying this. I don't know when this is coming out, but watching how much alcohol yeah. you're taking in because alcohol and caffeine will basically take the liver's attention away from detoxifying old estrogen. Okay. So that's pretty important. Yeah. So, you know, just kind of getting your body moving, getting your body sweating and supporting it with, like, fibre and water to really heighten that, support that detoxification process. Um, so for... Where can people, what are good touch points for people if they were wanted any resources? You've mentioned a couple of charities mm -hmm. and obviously your book as well. Yeah. Um, there's so many. Um, so I would definitely recommend going to, so for surgery, for on point stuff about surgery and the science, go to Dr. Andrew Cook. Um, he, his center is called the Vital, Vital Health Endometriosis Center. Okay. And, um, 
I think on Instagram, they're like at Vital Health Endometriosis, something like that. You'll find it if I'm you gonna, go to the website. I'll link to them all in the, yeah. in the blurb. Um, so he does really good information on, he does like Instagram TV stuff on surgery, the best surgery, but also he talks about the most recent studies and he really breaks it down. And he's not one of those doctors who are like, oh, diet is bullshit, like, yeah. or yoga is bullshit. Like he, he talks about all of it. Um, he's brilliant. Um, and Endometriosis UK is a brilliant source for like advocacy, awareness. If you want to go to a local support group, they have local support groups. If you want to find out stats on endo, um, they have that there. If you're in the UK, um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, forgive me, but there is a um, kind of organization that lists the endometriosis specialist centers. Okay. If you go on to Endometriosis UK's website, then you'll be able to get that to the endo specialist centers from there. But I just can't remember the name of the organization right now. Um, if you want to kind of learn more about holistic management of endo, I have my blog. Yeah. Um, I have a weekly com column on endometriosis news. Um, I have a monthly column on endometriosis net. I obviously have the podcast, which is weekly. Um, but then there's some brilliant books. Beaten Endo, amazing book. Um, I will say that it's quite overwhelming with what they tell you to do. So I would suggest that you either go through that with the support of someone yeah. else, like a nutritionist or a health coach, or you start slower. So you kind of just take it bit by bit. Um, woman code, if you want to kind of understand your cycle and optimize your cycle and optimize your fertility, um, read woman code. Okay. Again, it's pretty tough going. There's a strict elimination diet part in it to kind of reset your hormones, but it's amazing. Nicole Jardim, again, She's great if you've got PCOS, which is quite common with endo. Yeah. She's really good with PCOS, but she's also just all around for hormones and all that stuff. Um, she's got a great podcast called um, The Period Party. Okay. Um, there's so many. I could literally go on forever. And um, what's your book called? My book called my book is called um, This Endo Life. It starts with breakfast. And where can people find it? So they can get it on my website. Um, they can get the digital copy on my website, download it. Um, you can get the digital copy for Kindle on Amazon. Great. If you want a print copy, um, you would have to order it through my website on a company called Blurb. So it's print okay. to order. Great. Print, print on demand. That's the yeah. word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Great. So, yeah, they can get it there. And that's um, half of it's a nutrition guide to endo. So it's literally everything to add in, some stuff you might want to cut out. Um, loads of science. I've literally quoted so many studies. I think there's like 200 in there. Wow. Um, and then the second half is 28 recipes that are all endometriosis friendly. They're breakfast recipes, but I've kind of made them, they could be made for lunch. They could be made for snacks. They can be made for dessert. So, and obviously it's 28 because that's like average cycle. So Perfect. yeah. Great. It sounds amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. Thank you so much for having me. It's and coming to Margate. <laughs> I know. Well, I do like to be by the seaside. <laughs> no, it's been really nice. Thank you. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you.